You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. feel a message for our church today, and I want to preach this morning on the subject, City of David, City of David. And during the last number of weeks, we have talked in our revival service as well as in our service last week about David's anointing. David in Scripture is found in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. He's a key figure. If you've not heard of David, he's a key figure in Scripture. He is the king of Israel, and he is a put in to be king of Israel, I should say, and it happens in a kind of interesting way that he's just a shepherd boy in a field. He's one of several brothers who he's out in the field, and the prophet comes to David's father, Jesse, and says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the king because the previous king of Israel had disobeyed God and God was withdrawing his support, so to speak, from King Saul and so God wanted to anoint another person to be the king. And so he's going to do it to one of Jesse's sons and again we have talked about this the last number of weeks but Jesse brings his sons in front of the prophet Samuel, and each time the prophet said, no, that's not the one. And finally we get to the prophet asking Jesse, is there any other sons? And of course he says, "There, yeah, I've got one more son, and he's in the field, and he's out away from everybody else, and he's keeping watch over the sheep. And so the prophet says, bring him here. And he's just a shepherd boy. He has no qualifications to be a ruler or a king. But God had decided that he wanted to use his life to be a king and to be a leader in Israel. And so the prophet brings him out of the field and the prophet anoints him with oil and anoints him to be the king. And what we've realized is that many of you in this place, God has been pulling you out of obscurity, not to be the king in just some public sense, but to truly take your position as a child of God, to be heirs to the throne of God, to be the prince and the princess who God called us to be, to be the ones who are in authority in the spirit world. And God has called us and God has invited us out of the field. And God has said, I want to anoint you to do something that you couldn't do on your own. How many have felt that drawing? You felt that calling? Even today, I feel like the Lord is just pulling at some of you, just drawing you, saying, come on, come on. You are anointed. You are a chosen one of God. You have a role to play in this kingdom. 
We recognize God wants to do this in our lives. And last week I talked about the power of boldness and the need, the prevailing need of the church is boldness in this hour that God is not just drawing us out of the field and God is not just anointing us just to tell us that we're anointed so we feel good about ourselves. He's calling us to do something for him and it causes us to have to take action in our life, to take a step of faith, to, to speak something out, to say something, to do something in this world. And I feel that today. I feel that that momentum in the spirit, so to speak, that God is saying this is going to be a great church. This is going to be a bold church who does some amazing things. I want to look at this story and just unpack it a little bit more and realize today that while King David was anointed to be king and he was thrust into this moment, We understand that it didn't just happen overnight. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look there. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in, and the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Now, this doesn't seem that significant in that we already know that he had been anointed to be king, so What's the big deal? The big deal is that it says, then all the tribes of Israel. Everyone say all. All All the tribes of Israel came to David. All the tribes came. Prior to this, only one tribe of Israel recognized David as king. Only one tribe acknowledged him to be anointed to be king. The other tribes had recognized one of Saul's sons to be king. And here David is the anointed one, but not everyone recognized it. And it's sad that these tribes only turn to David when their previous choice was taken away. And I think it's apparent to us that it can be that way with us. That sometimes we only follow the will of God in our lives when all the other choices are taken away. And I I feel compelled to encourage us to allow the work of God and the will of God to be done in your life before all the choices have been taken away. And I'm all for 
deathbed confession. And I'm all for and believe that God saves on a deathbed. And I am thankful to know that God's mercy reaches far beyond anything that we can imagine. And when I make my bed in hell and when I go to the farthest places, he's still there. But what I want to tell you today, and I want to encourage Calvary today, that we don't have to wait until all the choices have disappeared in our life before we obey the word of God. God is compelling us to do his work. He has anointed us to do this work. And so the Bible says that he is going to shepherd the people of Israel. David is using what he learned in the field. He's learning what he began to establish in his life long before he was ever king. And can I tell you that God uses those things in our lives that we learn in private, that we learn when nobody's watching. God will use those things in our life to accomplish his work. But he added that he would also be a ruler. This ruling was not something that David was comfortable with. This was not something that David uh, had learned in a field. No, it was something that he was anointed to do. And I say it again today as I said it last week that sometimes God will call us into places that we don't feel qualified to go. We don't have any pedigree that says we should be there. There's nothing about our life experience that says, you know what? I should have this opportunity. Sometimes God's going to call you to some very uncomfortable places, some places that are outside of your capabilities. But can I tell you, you've been called, you've been chosen, and you've been anointed. And so go in the boldness of God. Oh, hallelujah. And so it says in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, Therefore all... The elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. This is what I want us to pay attention to today. I mentioned all. It was a collective group. All the elders came. I find it interesting that King David made a covenant with them. Now think about this. There were tribes who had rejected him. There were people who did not recognize him as king before this. But Saul's son was taken out of the picture, and now they had no choice. But I find some humbleness in David that he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Even though you haven't always believed in me, I'm making a covenant with you. David didn't hold grudges. He didn't hold on to what other people had done to him. He said, in order for us to accomplish the work of God, in order for us to do it, we have to make a covenant with each other. David, though, 
had already been anointed by the prophet Samuel. And so David had every right to say, I don't need you. I don't need your recommendation. I don't need your accolades. I don't need your affirmation. I've been anointed to be king. And I think sometimes when we feel the anointing of God and we sense God's hand on our life, we can sometimes go down that road and feel like, you know what? I don't need you all in the church. God has anointed me already. God has already chosen me to do what what I'm called to do. I, I don't need you. You didn't believe in me when I was a, a nobody. You didn't believe in me when I was tripped up and messed up and I failed. You didn't believe in me. I don't need you. No, David doesn't take that stance. He doesn't take that position. He says, you know what? What God wants to accomplish requires all of us to be a part of it. So I don't care if you didn't believe in me then. If you'll believe in me now, I'll take it. Uh, if you'll trust in me now, I'll take it. It's powerful because then it says, and they anointed David king over Israel. Can I help us today? There is a dimension in God that I believe God is pushing us towards. We have been called out individually to do God's work. We have been set apart and pulled out of the field to do God's work. And there is a heavy anointing on many of you individually. But I want to preach today that God is calling the Calvary Church to a collective anointing. There is an anointing that can only happen when we are in unity with one another. That when we are in lockstep with each other. When we are encouraging one another when we're loving one another there is an anointing that can only happen when we see ourselves as the body of Christ oh hallelujah our collective unity brings another level of anointing and that's why David would write in Psalms chapter 133, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garment. It shall be like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. I'm thankful that I have an anointing. I'm thankful that you have an anointing. I believe in it. But can I tell you there's something that's going to happen when we come together and be strong together and put our anointing with somebody else. I want you to know today there is a collective anointing on the body of Christ that is lived in unity. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unity must remain the hallmark of the church. Love one another. Love one another. How is the world going to know who Jesus is? It's our love 
for one another. And I feel compelled to just keep preaching to us at Calvary that there is a calling on us that we must pursue. Yes, there is an individual calling, but there is a collective calling. There is a collective calling that we must reach for. And sometimes it requires us to lay down our own desires and our own feelings and our own thoughts sometimes. And today I felt compelled to tell us that there is a power that will come to us. The Lord is moving us towards this. I absolutely believe it. But I want to tell you today, I feel compelled to preach on it. I don't have any sense of disunity in this church. But can I tell you today, I know what the enemy's playbook is. I've seen it over and over and over again. He is going to create opportunities for hurt, for mistrust, and division. He's going to do it. And so we have to decide what kind of anointing do I want? Do I want just my own anointing? Do I want to just stand on my own? Or do I want the collective anointing that God has intended for the church? And the enemy will use good intentions to create mistrust. If we only had this ministry, if we were only more spiritual in this area, if we only did this outreach, seeds of mistrust. I've seen building projects divide churches. I've seen prayer become divisive. I've seen music and worship become a, 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 a wedge in between the church. You think, how does that happen? We're just worshiping God. The enemy uses it. I've seen children's ministry become divisive in the church. If you can name it as a function, as a part of the church, the enemy will try to exploit it and create division with it. Because the enemy knows that unity creates an anointing. And humility to one another creates an anointing that destroys yokes. And we are in a strategic and powerful moment in our church. And as your pastor and shepherd, I am warning us and I am encouraging us. We must be unified. Don't let anyone create distrust in you for our church, for our leadership, for each other. We need a unified effort to do what God is calling us to do. And that's why we have to pray together. United prayer tonight. That's why we pray together. That's why we fellowship together in life groups. Because the enemy's not going to drive a relational wedge in between everybody in the church. We're going to break down those barriers, those cultural barriers, those, those social barriers. Because the enemy uses that stuff to create wedges in the church. We're going to learn together God's word on Wednesday night. We're going to grow together in the body of Christ. And let me put a, a, a little uh, public service announcement out there. We're teaching a series right now in Growth University that I wish every one of you would be a part of. It's a powerful principle that God is teaching us and we need to learn it together. And we need to give together. We need to all be faithful to what God has put in our hands to do. I encourage you to be faithful, to give your tithe, to give your offering, to do what you can, to give to what God is doing. 
because it's our collective unity that creates another level of anointing and I believe opportunity to what God is doing. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 says, So the king and his men went to Jerusalem. David and his men, they anointed him. They went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. This verse is saying that the Jebusites were so confident in what they had. They were so confident in the city Zion that they had that they said even blind and lame people would repel you. We, we have so much confidence that there's no way you're going to overthrow what we have. And the Jebusites mocked David. Says in verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. David was not content to allow one promise of God to be out of reach. Didn't matter if the enemy mocked him. See, God had told Moses that he would help them defeat the Jebusites. In Exodus 23, 23, he said, For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the, Jeb- or the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Hundreds of years go by. They're still not cut off. And David says, God's promise is still true. I don't care what the Jebusites think about Zion. And so the scripture tells us, this next verse I think is so interesting and amazing. It says, now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, and in parentheses it says the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Now David does not hate the lame and the blind. We even know that he even reached out later in his life to Mephibosheth, who was crippled. David wasn't hating the lame and the blind, but he's trash-talking. He's reversing it. He's saying, go up, climb the water shaft, and defeat the Jebusites who called themselves blind and lame. Because they're trying to defend the city. Therefore, they say, the saying is, the blind and lame shall not come into the house. And it was nearly impossible for David's army to defeat the Jebusites in Zion by just going against them head on. The terrain would have been impossible. It was fortified all around. But there was one area of vulnerability. It was a water shaft that ran underground. It was there the Gihon spring flowed. The scripture tells us David and his army came through the water. And I tell you, we have to come through the water. Moses took them through the Red Sea. Joshua took them through the Jordan. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. And so the passage tells us that David and his men, 
climb through the water shaft. And they overthrow the Jebusites. In verse number 9, David dwelt in the stronghold. And he called it the city of David. And he built around it from the Milo or landfill and inward. He built the city out. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. In the New Testament, we read about the city of David. We read it at Christmas time. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What's interesting about this, this is not talking about Zion. It's not talking about Jerusalem. It's talking about Bethlehem. But when you understand the story of David, you understand what happened at Bethlehem. Bethlehem was where he was anointed by the prophet. Bethlehem was where he was called out of the field and he was anointed to be the king. And so the Christ arrives in the city of David, that city called Bethlehem. And he, God, was, came to the earth in Jesus Christ, incarnate. And he would come out of obscurity. In Bethlehem. However, when Christ would ascend into heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, he told his disciples that they should go to Jerusalem or Zion, that place that David had won against the Jebusites. Go to Jerusalem. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And here we see that Jesus Christ anoints his people to do his work in the world. It was in the city of Jerusalem where a people who were not a people became a people. A people who didn't have mercy suddenly became a people of mercy. It's here in Jerusalem, that place of collective anointing, that God pours out his spirit. And it's here that Peter preaches that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let me stretch it just a little bit. It's here where they... Say, let's climb through the water shaft and let's conquer what God has called us to conquer. Because I believe that what God is doing in the world is not just something that happens in Bethlehem. It's not just something that is a private experience meant for you. 
We know when Jesus was born that the shepherds in Bethlehem came and they acknowledged him. But Jesus was not just a shepherd. He was a king. And so therefore, he was going to rule and reign. And therefore, he brought his people to the city of David called Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Why? Not so one person can say that they're spiritual. Not so one person can have some uh, experience with God, but so that a body of believers, uh, there could be a collective uh, anointing uh, that falls. It's the city of David. And so the Bible says they had all things common, and I'm coming to a close. Jerusalem, though, was not just a physical location, but it was a picture. And it was a picture of us as a collective body. Galatians said this, Paul wrote this in Galatians 4.26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. It's how we come into the church. In Hebrews it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. And this time it doesn't say the city of David, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You come to Mount Zion today. We come to receive God's power and his anointing. Not so we can have our own individual spiritual walk with God, but because we're a part of a city. We're a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. I hope you can get it today because what is going to impact this world is unity in the church, a collective effort in the church. And so John the Revelator would write, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. But watch what he says. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. When we sing about heaven and we talk about heaven, we talk about a new city, a heavenly place. But I want us to grasp what this city is. This city is not about a physical location. It's about a people, a collective people who have unified themselves under one banner, not a country banner, not a political banner, certainly not a sports banner, but under one banner, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. In every decision we make,
is around that one collective goal, that his name would be glorified. And so he said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things have been passed away. He said, I'm the alpha, the omega. And he goes on. And I don't have time to read all of it But he talks about the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and idolaters. And all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But watch what he says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And what did that bride look like? Walls of Jasper, gates, gates to the east, gates to the west. Verse 14 of 21, the wall of the city had foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and walls. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square and he talks about the length and everything that's in it. He talks about in verse 18, the construction of the wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations were all kinds of precious stone. It's not talking about a physical place. And I know that that's the image that many of us have grown up thinking that heaven is going to be this walled off city where uh, Peter's going to stand at the gate and he's going to welcome everybody in. That's not what the scripture's telling us. It's a revelation of the body of Christ and how beautiful and how intricate we are when we are together as the body of Christ. And there's the foundations of the tribes of Israel and there's the foundations of the apostles and there's gates and there's people and there's places that we're going to inherit because we're a part of the body of Christ. So in verse 22, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city, us, the city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Just stand with me this morning. There is a powerful anointing that God has for us today. But it's not just going to come by our own surrender to God. It's going to come when we surrender one to another. When we unify our hearts with one another. And it says in 2 Samuel 5, 10, David went on and became great and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And immediately it says that the Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and he also sent cedar trees and carpenters and masons and they built 
David a house. And we know David's desire to build the house of God. What I believe, I believe that when we accept our individual anointing and we walk in that boldness, that boldness will lead us to a collective surrendering and humility with one another. It doesn't make us tower over one another. It causes us to humble ourselves to one another. And when we do that, I believe that there is provision beyond anything we can imagine. I believe that as we continue to unify our efforts and we see a collective anointing, that I believe there are going to be things that are brought into this church. I believe there is going to be miracle things that happen in this church out of nowhere. No one will be able to explain it. No one will be able to get the credit for it. But it's because we've collectively unified around the purpose and plan of God. The Lord commands blessing when there's unity. So Paul wrote, and I close with this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Enduring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So I want to pray for us today. There is a heavy calling on this church. There's a heavy calling that's happening in this season, and I want to be ready and available to do what God is calling us to do. And I absolutely believe that it's not just going to be because I'm anointed or you're anointed. It's going to be because we're anointed. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.